Hello and welcome into another episode on the Lumumba Pastor's Blog. I'm Lumumba Jonathan. Today's lesson is entitled Acts 9, The Heart of Our Savior. Our text to begin is from Acts chapter 9, but before we, we read that, I just want to introduce the chapter to you a little bit. So this chapter narrates for us the conversion of Saul and the beginning of his ministry. So Saul is the Apostle Paul, but before he was referred to as Paul, his, his Hebrew name was Saul. His given name was Saul. If you haven't listened to the lesson from Acts 7 entitled, A Young Man Named Saul, I advise you to first go back and listen to that before continuing into this study in chapter 9. In that lesson from chapter 7, I give quite a bit of Paul's testimony from his statements made either in letters or when on trial before differing courts. That background helps us to see the depths of the beauty of God's love in the story of his son Paul. So let's begin now by reading verse 1 and 2 from Acts chapter 9, which says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul hated Christians with a passion that took him beyond any empathy for lives and families he destroyed. His hatred went so far that it was too small of a thing for him to seek to eradicate the Christian faith simply in the region of Judea. He went to the high priest and asked for the authority to carry the sword against Christians even in Gentile regions. Jesus had predicted these exact types of people would come. In John chapter 16, verse 2, he says, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. The synagogues were meant to be the place of worshiping God, where seekers of God could find truth. Ironically, we see that false religious people cast out the messengers of truth from these places. Saul believed he was doing what God would want him to do. In Acts chapter 26, verses 9 and 10, when he's on trial, he says these things, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. This is what we find Paul busy with as chapter 9 begins. It is on this errand of destruction that Jesus introduces himself to Paul. What do you think Jesus said to him? What do you think Jesus felt towards this man who was arrested and slaying his people? Jesus' words tell us much about his heart. Let's continue reading now from Acts 9, verses 3 up to verse 9. It says, now, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. When falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, 
and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Are you surprised at Jesus' words? He doesn't threaten Paul. He doesn't turn Paul into dust. He begins with a question, and the question should give us great comfort. He asks Paul why he is persecuting him. Why are you persecuting me? The Bible tells us that we are the body of Jesus. In Ephesians 5, verses 29 and 30, we read, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. What's the implication of that? Everything that happens to us happens to Christ and is felt by Christ. This means there is no suffering, trial, persecution, or attack that comes against us that our Lord does not feel and take personally. Jesus felt every child's pain who Paul made fatherless, and every family's pain who Paul tore apart, and every person who had their freedom, freedom taken from them. Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? In Matthew, Jesus explains this reality to us. In Matthew 25, from verse 41 to verse 45, he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did not do it to me. Friends, an attack or mistreatment of us is mistreatment that Jesus himself feels. He is with us in imprisonment, hunger, nakedness, loneliness, and all sorrow. Isn't that comforting knowledge? Sometimes we cry out asking where he is in our moment of pain. The truth is, he is in pain right there with us. We need to understand something else that goes along with that reality. Because of this intimate possession of Christ being with us in all things, we can become his tormentors when we unite him with sin that we commit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 and 16, we read, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. We see that sin that Christians partake of, they take Christ with them into that sin. And these things are not supposed to be. How many times have we wounded our God who dwells in us by taking him where he would never go 
and joining him to what he would never be joined to. Whatever we do, Jesus is with us because we are his and he is ours. Now, coming back to Paul and understanding that Paul had so deeply wounded Jesus, what do you think Jesus was going to do to this man? You think he, Paul, Paul's in for it, he's going to get it. Well, Jesus' words to, to Paul tell us Jesus' heart is perhaps much different than, than we might expect. Immediately after asking Paul the question about why he was persecuting him, Jesus makes a promise of mercy to Paul. He tells him, enter the city and it will be told you what you are to do. Isn't that amazing? What's even more amazing is that God had already been extending mercy to Paul before this. Something not recorded in Acts 9 that Jesus also said in this conversation is revealed by Paul in this statement later in Acts 26 verse 14 when he narrates what happened. He says, And when, he had, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What did Jesus mean by this expression, kicking against the goads? The term refers to a cattle prod used to direct cows. Jesus had been prodding Paul for some time, and Paul had been struggling to resist these goads. What does the Bible tell us the purpose of these goads from God are? Jesus explains in John 16, verses 7 and 8, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. That's the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It is the Holy Spirit God sends to prick the consciences of all people. We all know this feeling. It is the guilt we feel when we've done wrong. God had been pricking Paul's heart for some time in the midst of his persecution of the church. What does that tell us about God? We see this statement he makes about himself in Ezekiel 18 being proven true. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, it says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? God delights not in the death of wicked people, but he loves when wicked people repent and obtain eternal life. The heart of Jesus is demonstrated further when he sends Ananias to go and pray for Paul. In Acts chapter 9 from verse 10 to 15, we read these details. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, 
for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I love this dialogue. Ananias tells Jesus some information about Paul. Do we ever talk to God about things as if he doesn't already know more than whatever it is we're telling him? Ananias represents our perspective. There's no one the believers feared more than Paul at this point. What does Jesus say that demonstrates his merciful heart? He says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. We say, what? Paul is chosen? Why would you choose this man? Don't you know what he's done? Don't you know what he deserves? Of course, Jesus knows what he's done. Everything Paul has done was done directly against Jesus. And yet, Jesus says, I've chosen him. Paul explains to us a reason why he was especially chosen. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, we read these things. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. What does God show us in his mercy on his chief enemy? There's truly no limit to God's mercy and forgiveness. Satan often wants people to believe they are beyond God's mercy. Can God really forgive what you've done? Well, look at this man, Paul, and understand God is ready and willing to forgive anyone who will humble himself and ask for forgiveness. Remember, this event is only several months removed from the crucifixion of Christ. Paul is not mentioned in that event, but seeing these things about Paul and his prominent position in Judaism, I'm sure he was present and eagerly approving of the condemnation of Jesus. What did the people say about Jesus at his trial? In John 19, 15, we read, They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. I imagine Jesus seeing Paul in this crowd, shouting at him, Away with him! and Crucify him! And I know that when Jesus saw him, he wouldn't have responded with hatred. But I imagine Jesus already saw what God would make out of Paul's life. Jesus tells us in Revelation 21, verse 5, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. If you don't know Jesus yet today, I hope you've come to understand his heart in this lesson. God says about himself in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants to make you new. He's, giving, he's given everything in his Son so our sins could be forgiven. He says all we must do is come and take up the water of life freely. In Revelation 22, verse 17, we read, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. 
And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Don't try to bring your works. They can never pay for your sin. Jesus has paid it all. He stands ready to forgive, but you must come. Though your sins are the deepest red, God says he can wash you white as snow. God bless you all.